Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Brunts and Christofferson, back in the host seat after being forced out for a week, sent on a suspension to go watch baseball around the Midwest. Very tough punishment, but I, uh, I took it. I did it for the team. How are you guys? I think as Brian would probably attest to, I mean, we were rudderless last week. Um, you admitted that you didn't listen to the podcast, so you don't know this, but... Well, I wasn't on it. Why would I care? Right. Um, but it was it was touch and go for a while. I mean, we were just like... No one spoke for the first minute. Yeah. We were just a big <laughs> big boat in the water, just constantly turning left, because we didn't yeah. know how to how to get it going the right way. Just like strange noises were heard. Like, yeah. we couldn't, like, we didn't even know how to communicate like, at some point there was 90 seconds of the guy of my neighbor mowing his lawn like that was just all you could hear <laughs> it's kind of artistic wasn't that a couple weeks ago too yeah is well, it just now a thing of the podcast we played the hits you got spoken spoken lyrics bc and mower guy bc actually didn't do the spoken lyrics yeah, last week only someone do, only do it when there's three people yeah someone tweeted <laughs> me because they knew that i was gone and they asked if the whole podcast would be bc doing spoken lyrics <laughs> In the absence of me not being around. So I was a little disappointed you didn't go that route. I, I guess had we really thought of it, it probably would have been a good way to go. Yeah, I th- you know, in our defense, I thought we got some stuff din- done. Didn't we talk about, like, what-ifs in Husker history? And Yeah, there was, like, seven commitments last week yeah, when we- you were out gallivanting about northern Ohio. I know. I wrote about <laughs> one of them when I was sitting at a baseball park. Yeah. You can check that off my bingo card. Yep. Uh, yeah, there was five commitments. Um, you probably discussed all of them, though, right? We we filled a half hour talking about it. We don't have to talk about them. That's good. We we didn't have to devolve into black shirt talk or that's today. Yeah, we're gonna get to that today. <laughs> but um, what what what's the Mount Rushmore of summer Nebraska conversations? Black shirt. Uh, well, Mount Rushmores are yes. on there. Yes, I mean that's that's one. Okay. Uh, another one that has come up recently. I've seen it at least the last three years has been the whole, if you could pick any player from Husker history and put them on this year's team, who would mm-hmm. you pick? Uh, that one is up there. I mean, black shirt talk has to be considered. Have we gotten to, are we past the, is Nebraska, does Nebraska have a rival conversation? That's always a summer treat. Uh, basically, there's a annual thing where someone suggests that Nebraska-Iowa is a rival, or mm. Bill Moose is quoted as saying he wants to make it a rivalry, and all the fans are like, no, they're not a rival, and that's that. You know? I don't know if it's all the fa- I feel like there's at least a portion of the fans that now have accepted Iowa as a rival. They, well, I've always, they're not as loud. I've always said this. I don't think there's a program in the country Nebraska fans hate losing to more than Iowa. Whatever that makes them. They might not want to be like at the same level Iowa is, or sat, be satisfied with being eight and four. I get all that, but if there's one program where people walk out of the stadium just feeling like crap because they got beat by them, it's Iowa. You see what Brunt's did, right? What did he do? He roped us into this conversation. Yeah, but so the, in Scott's bluff, this you know, this Scott, sneaky, sneaky person just roped us into this conversation. You like this that comment. we started by mocking, and now we're in here talking about. <laughs> we're it. talking seriously, hitting it back and forth like a couple of people warming up to play some tennis. Like Bob Diaco, yeah, just that's I mean, one of the you best gifts. That GIF in the story, the ping pong GIF GIF. gifs. Uh, a woman stands up in Scott's Bluff when Scott Frost opens it up for questions. Um, and of course, you guys know how those things work. It very rarely is a question; it's more of a comment. Generally, um, a statement. She said she had she had two two questions. The first one, she really wants Nebraska to win more games. The second one, she really wants Nebraska to beat Iowa. Those were her two questions. <laughs> <laughs> Respond. Yeah. And uh, what did Frost say? I don't really remember. He was, you know, nursing that sore ankle. So yeah. did he promise, you know, wins in Kinnick Stadium? Uh, he did not. Uh, I would have. I wouldn't have minded if he fired a shot across the bow at Brian Ferentz, but didn't happen. Moose oh. Moose didn't come in with anything. No. Like, well, I'll tell you what, ma'am. Fifty-two to seventeen <laughs> is going to be the score this year. You go to our your, boys are going to be on top. You go to Delaware <laughs> right now and put that down. I mean, there's there's a fine line between what you can actually say at these things and what's going to be reported as fact. So I guess you have to that, be careful. That is true. I do. I do think. 
Yeah, well, that's a whole other subject. I think we're we're we're, <laughs> we're segueing here, aren't we? We're we're kind of yeah, well, we're I steering mean, the ship a little we bit. Were, we were it. all part of the tour. The I don't know what do you want to call it, rubber chicken dinners or whatever they are, of of these stand up conversations. We all went to at least. Did a few you guys? Of them. Was there food where you guys were? Actually, cookies. No. Cookies. Yep. I didn't get any cookies. All right, Bronze. Where did you go, and what did you learn? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I got up and drove to Garing. Um, there's pa- there was palpable buzz out there for Scott Frost. There was the the bank signs at all changed to welcome Scott Frost to Garing slash Scott's Bluff. Uh, Scott's Bluff. Yes. Was it a modern picture of Scott Frost, or was it of like him in the end zone with the number one sign in the '98 Orange Bowl? It wasn't even the picture. It was just like the the word scroll. That's okay. all it was. Okay. So what kind of font though? Uh. It wasn't Zaff Wingbats or whatever. <laughs> um, I was disappointed that, was that they very, hadn't like erected very some very specific random pull, so, some large banner of, of perhaps that end zone picture across Scotts Bluff Monument. That didn't happen. Yeah, drove by Chimney Rock. Um, you weren't all that impressed. It was. I I've seen it before, and you know how you have like that really big expansive photo or video of chimney rock generally it's really not that 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 impressive it's only like six and a half feet like it's you're (laughs) almost as tall as it if if it was if i were rolling by it on the oregon trail i'd probably take a look at it maybe just keep rolling on down the river so that's always about where uncle keith or somebody would get malaria yeah 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 you'd have to sell an oxen or something to try to keep things afloat for your crew just out there shooting buffalo and only bringing 200 pounds back to the wagon <laughs> if you could right now would Before you guys Shaver's time maybe yeah. would you guys play oregon trail if, if like the version of it that you remember from the floppy disc was mm-hmm. still available would you spend an hour today playing that game yeah at one time and then it would you'd it wouldn't like keep thing. the same sort yeah. of but the nostalgia to play that is very large. initially yes yeah yeah, I feel like you'd you'd be like, well, this this really didn't hold up through the years. You guys always forded the river, is that right? You had to, right? I mean, well, you had options. I know, but what are you? Uh, are you a man? <laughs> are you? I, mean, a, I, are I you did. A, yes, yes, I am a man. Are <laughs> you a cocker? Are you floating it across, cocking the wagon and floating it? No, nah, it was always fording. Always fording. That was a gem of a game, though, in the eighties. That number munchers play the hits. Yeah. Yeah. Atari um, Pong. Pong's good. All right. Anyway, Chimney Rock. Chimney Rock. By there, and Scott Frost. Scott Frost stood was... on top of the rock. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't have these kinds of segues and non sequiturs when you were in Cleveland, by the way. Yeah, I'm sure it ran very smoothly. I think this is smooth. Yeah. <laughs> so Scott Frost talked a little bit. Uh, he had the coming off the ankle surgery was a little subdued, but uh, Bill Moose got the the crowd riled up. He was in his element with the uh, the cattle folk out there in Western Nebraska, and uh, I would just just to interject here, I would pay a not insignificant amount of money for a clip of Bill Moose acting like Howard Dean in uh, two thousand and. Or whatever it is, we're gonna go to Minnesota. Yeah, just we're like doing the, doing the arm pump <laughs> as he's walking through, and then the big scream at the end. It didn't get quite to that, but disappointing. Uh, it was it was it was okay. Didn't learn a, a ton of new stuff. Um, went to Ogallala then, and, and hung out with Frank Verducci and uh, Ryan Held. Mm. Learned some stuff there. I thought was uh, we'll, we'll probably get into a little bit with the program. Um, yeah, and beyond that, it was it was good. A little subdued, a little bit more subdued affair in Ogallala than what we saw in, in Garing, though. Mm-hmm. So, where did you guys go on your tour? Well, I was at Aurora, in which I went to the community center there, hometown of Austin Allen. It is the hometown of Austin Allen, and uh, I had the opportunity to talk to the coaches. Uh, they showed up pretty early. It was it was Javon Dewitt, and then Jack Cooper, uh, quality control, uh, who works with the defensive backs. And I was talking to both of those guys. And I joked with one of them that the very first question that he would get from a fan in attendance would likely be about the status of Austin Allen coming into the year. And so he better be prepared to talk tight ends. And 
within six minutes of that conversation, somebody had came up, introduced themselves, and immediately pressed for information regarding Austin Allen's playing time. So I, I felt pretty good about that prediction. Uh, Javon DeWitt is really good in these types of uh, situations. I mean, he's a guy that has a ton of stories. He was regaling the crowd with kind of his time at West Point and what that was like. He impressed people by simply rattling off the 14-some stops that he has made throughout his career in terms of coaching and uh, the various things that he's coaches. He joked that he'd never coach the quarterbacks because everybody knows the best quarterbacks coach is generally in the stands. And so he he uh, had him whooping pretty good in, in Aurora. And when he did get into the defense, generally, as you said, uh, a lot more statements regarding how Nebraska played last year than questions about how they're going to be different this year. But he said he didn't want to talk too much about their performance previous because he wasn't here, didn't know much about it. But he's excited about what the linebackers in specifics and the pass rush in specific that they can bring here with the new defensive staff. And then the next stop was over in Geneva at the theater, and it was not uh, open. And so for the first 15 minutes, it was myself, Troy Walters, and Mario Verduzco standing outside in the streets of downtown Geneva waiting for the theater to open so we could go inside. Were you both standing there wondering how what what decisions led you to that moment? <laughs> Not really. I mean, we were, you know, Troy Walters and I discussed some wide receiver play, some offensive line, uh, some where they think they're at in terms of the playbook, and then jumped straight into quarterback talk with Coach Verduzco, who's always excited to, to get into the, the details of both quarterbacks and, and quarterback recruiting and learn quite a bit there. I think I should have some good stories uh, coming on just kind of his evaluation process, how that went for Nebraska. As we know, they have Luke McCaffrey, and they're very happy, I think, um, with their quarterback situation. I know that people keep wondering if there's going to be multiple in the class. I would doubt it at this point. I, I think that they're very content with, with McCaffrey. And then uh, he kind of walked through what it's like to go through an evaluation uh, when he's there watching these kids because every practice is different, and he doesn't stipulate what he wants guys to do when he shows up on campus. And so – he explains kind of how, what he's looking for and, and the qualifications and all of that stuff. So I'll have that later this week uh, for our VIP subscribers. I think they'll enjoy that. And then I should have a bunch of player updates too. So uh, it, was, it was pretty productive for me in my two trips. But um, I was I expected a few more people to be in attendance, to be honest. It was kind of smaller crowds at both Aurora and Geneva. I went to Fremont, Plattsmouth, and Blair. Uh, Fremont uh, would had Travis Fisher and Eric Chenander. That was by far the biggest crowd. I would say there was 80 to 100 people at the Sid Dillon uh, car place there. And uh, I'll tell you what, Travis Fisher, Husker fans are going to like him. Because he's blunt as hell. He just, when you said I tell you what, I thought you were going to say that you were looking at cars or something like that. I was really hoping. <laughs> Tell you what, I really like the 2018 yeah. Nissan Titan. I, I can see do a myself. Sid yeah. promo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did get a cookie there, which maybe that's against <laughs> journalism ethics to take a cookie, but I was really freaking hungry. And so I had a cookie, and I listened to Travis Fisher, and he just laid it on the line. Those guys were talking about, you know, grad transfers. They they were getting asked about, you know, if, the, if they wanted to take another. And they're – they're looking. I mean, they definitely don't think they have the numbers at defensive back right now. And, I mean, the main takeaway was basically Chenander and Fisher saying, hey, our job is to keep going out there and bringing in guys that are hungry to take the jobs of the guys we've got. And the guys we have have to understand that. They need to know that this is a cycle and that these coaches are always trying to get somebody that wants what they have. And uh, – you know that that's got to inspire him, and he. I mean, Travis Fisher brought up Lamar Jackson specifically, and said he had that conversation this week with him. Like, you're not ready. You're not an NFL guy right now. You know, you don't have that type of game. If you think you do, you don't, and you got to get better. And we're trying to get somebody to to take your spot. And that's not a. He wasn't saying in a way people hopefully don't read it the wrong way to take apart Lamar. It was to to build him up really to motivate him. And uh, I, ju I just kind of like his style. I mean, I, you would as a journalist just because 
He's blunt. He he's lays not, it out. He's not going to hide anything. I've enjoyed every conversation I've had with Coach Fisher because of that. I mean, he's just mm-hmm. he will tell you exactly what he's thinking, and there's no real room or necessity to analyze it. I mean, yeah. you just sort of know where it's at. The chips are there. So my takeaway is that they're going to add another grad transfer in the secondary, whoever that may be. Um, my takeaway also is that they've got some injury worries still back on that back end with like Jojo Doman, who is coming along, but not back yet. Uh, they think he could get back for fall camp. And then Aaron Williams is still banged up from, uh, from the spring game, people might have missed it, but it was like the first or second play, yeah. wasn't it? Where he got, he got, he, he popped somebody on the sideline and yeah. then immediately came out. Like, and we just ran through our most indispensable list, and I think he was number three on there for us because I mean they need his leadership and him to be kind of be the quarterback of the back end. So that's going to be something to keep track of. After that, went out to Platt Smith and. It was uh, Bill Moose, who, who Bruns talked about, said a lot of the same stuff, and Greg Austin. And, you know, the thing I kind of got that I hadn't throughout the spring was I didn't really know what to read about what coaches thought of the O-line. Like, I didn't know where they really felt they were at. And yesterday I got more of a vibe that they they came away kind of satisfied with the progress they're making. I'm not saying they think they're there by any means. The pipeline but I, is back. Yeah, that's what <laughs> – but, I mean, Greg Austin was was pretty upbeat about what – just wanting to play a game and, like, eager to see what his guys could do. And then at my next stop, Blair, Sean Beckton brought up the O-line as one of the positives. Somebody asked him, like, what's something that surprised you in a good way? And Sean Beckton said the offensive line was one of those things. That was, like, the first thing he answered. So, I don't know, that kind of stood out to me because I honestly left the spring kind of – not sure what the coaches thought about that group. The The line's interesting because I think that the coaches are pleased that the line that Nebraska has now is farther ahead from the line they took over at, at UCF. And I think that that's kind of what they're looking at as, as a barometer a little bit for what they have to improve upon. But, um, I mean, they've got – They've got experience there. They've got some talent. I mean, I think Brendan Hymas probably has as bright of a future in football as anybody in the program right now. But, you know, the the, the production just hasn't been there. So I, I could see where you would, you know, feel okay about it. But that, that group still has to take a huge step forward. Yeah, Troy Walters talked about the offensive line in Geneva. And one of the things he sort of discussed is that he knows that this offense will be at its best point when they're comfortable completely changing what the game plan might be to take away the best defensive player. And he knows it won't matter with the offensive line. And he sort of gave an example of how they were new in their last two games, two of the last three games they played, they knew going up against USF and going up against Auburn, they couldn't just run the ball up the middle. And they knew their offensive line wasn't going to be able to hold up. And so they had to really challenge those guys that they had to work quickly to get off of their initial block to get to that second level because they were going to spread things out entirely. And they did such a good job against USF in that game that USF had to pull out two of its best linebackers and Mm. replace them with defensive backs to be quicker on the field. And he thinks that when the offensive line, if they get to that point during the season, Nebraska's offense will take off to an even higher level. And so I, I thought that was interesting. Uh, I think it speaks more, maybe more so than the line, just the versatility of if there is some concern going against Wisconsin, you know that you're not going to be able to just send Greg Bell up the middle or Divino Zigbo or whoever, uh, that these guys have been in those situations and that they can adapt pretty quickly on the fly. The other topic we, we wrote about, and then I guess it was a talker in the state yesterday, was the black shirts. And Eric Chenander kind of gave his just – I guess, impression of what it's supposed to mean and how he's going to hand them out. And he might not hand them out before the opener. I guess that was the news out of it. You know, I I think people kind of expected they'd do that in August or something. He said they might give a few guys who are really impressing. But at this point, he's talked to Charlie McBride. He's talked to former players about what it means. And he kind of looks at it as an all-encompassing thing, not just who's the starter. But basically, 
like representing the program right and how you go to work and how you are off the field and all that stuff's going to factor in and he even made the point that you could have a guy who's like a nickelback or maybe he's your fourth guy who's not a starter on the defensive line but he's doing all these things the right way and he could have a black shirt where other guys couldn't he kind of slipped that in there so that'd be interesting if you see some guys <laughs> like a backup who has one and others don't but I think my takeaway about that whole thing without just dwelling on it too much is right now they're trying to establish a culture and and that's just one of the ways to do it I mean it's the same thing with Frost saying he doesn't know if they'll have permanent captains you know this year and why they won't have a unity council till year two probably I think they they're they're just trying to establish a certain way of doing things right now so I don't think people should get all fired up yet if they have a big opinion on it and think this is necessarily how it's always going to be I think in year one sometimes you you operate a little differently so you're asking for patience Brian I was kind of yeah I'm a patient person I don't know if everybody is as patient as it relates to to all things Nebraska football and tradition. What would be your ideal for how you actually hand them out? Because like that, that's through a t-shirt cannon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, aside from the t-shirt cannon, which is a good idea, I think that should probably be implemented immediately and may have been how they did it back in the '90s. I don't know for sure, but that's how Devaney did it. Yeah. People don't know that. <laughs> Just put it in the jugs gun and shot it at yeah. people. Um, what, what's your ideal? Do you, do you do you give them to eleven? Do you give them to four immediately? When what? Give me your ideal black shirt scenario because everybody has their opinion. I don't really have one. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. You don't have one, but you want us to. Have but one. I, I would. I would be. I would you guys welcome yours. This topic. I don't want to weigh in on. <laughs> So what is it? <laughs> I don't I don't have a big problem if like in fall camp you gave one let's just use some names as examples. Like you give one to Carlos Davis and Aaron Williams and like three other guys. I wouldn't care. What I would care about is if they're cantankerous about it like Bo Pelini was. See now here's the difference to me. Do it however you want to do it. The problem with Bo's way which he did it a similar way at first, was that he made a big stinking fuss whenever he got asked about it or it became this little, you know, joking thing or like like hot-button thing that didn't need to be. And it was just so stupid and it kind of caused a distraction that need not be. Like, oh, when are the other guys going to get the black shirts? For the most part, most media, this is a there's a misconception. I don't think most media gives a darn when they <laughs> hand out the black shirts. I never have. I don't think most do. There's maybe a TV guy once or in August or October that will ask like when they're gonna do it, and then it gets presented as like everybody's all concerned about. It's it's usually not that everybody's like just foaming at the mouth when they're gonna get it, but I think Bo kind of made it into that thing where it seemed like that. And as long as this staff avoids that, who cares, I say. That's yeah. my answer. I mean, my my answer is that they know whoever the starting 11 would be going into the first week of the season. They're presented with the jerseys. That's it. There you go. Done. And if they don't keep their job, then they switch back to the regular jersey. You just have 11. It rotates with your starters. You're done with it. There doesn't have to be discussion about it. There doesn't have to be wondering if the punter deserves one or if certain sub-package players deserve one. Isn't there one year that 16 people got them? Yes. I think there was a year where like 19 got them. Like the two deep? Isn't it the 2010 year? (laughs) Might have been. I'm pretty sure one year. They might have all deserved it, though. (laughs) It's a really good deep. Right here, there's a, yeah. I mean. You know, you going to leave Dijon Gomes off? If, no, if you if you have a great defense, I don't have a problem giving fifty. Yeah, I don't either. Like it, my partly because I don't care. I mean, if, if I can admit that without not getting yelled at by people that listen to this podcast, uh, it does not matter. It, yeah. it just doesn't. The majority of the people never see him anyways because it happens at practice. It's a mentality. It's not the actual jersey. Yeah, and I, you know what? I think that's what Shenander's talking about, really. 
He's been ever since he got here. He said this at another speaking tour. I think we wrote about. <laughs> we were talking about the because in in their defense, he gets asked about it, so he gives an answer, and he right. knows. Yeah. If think about it, if you're in his shoes, you know this is a important deal. If someone at a car dealership in Fremont asks you about the black shirts, you have to have a good answer ready. Like right. if you're Eric Chenander, you can't just be like, "Oh well, we'll look into that," because then you get torched for that. You know. So I think he's done all the right things and just saying I've I had to figure it out, you know, kind of what it is. I talked to Charlie McBride. That's like, you know, talking to the Pope basically on right. this issue and uh, talked to the Peter brothers and the Kelsey brothers and all these people. And I, I, I so I think he's done what he needs to do to it's come like up with his own. The, the one the beautifully perfect signaling right there, too. What's that? You're you're letting people know that you know what's going on. What? No, not you. I mean, Shenander. You mentioned McBride. Oh. You mentioned the Peters brothers. Yeah. You're basically going to guarantee that everybody's going to be okay with what comes next. Well, yeah, that's just his PR savviness. Yeah. The the one that, the thing that always got me that I I thought was ridiculous, and this is probably about as hot takey as I'll get with the black shirts. Yeah. Wow. Look at you having a take. <laughs> Everybody stop and look at Brunts over here. He's climbing out on a limb, everyone. Is he going to be okay? Brunts, are you going to be okay? I'm just hanging on by a thread over here. Apparently. Uh, I, I, I just, it always made me laugh. We're like, later in the Polini era, you could you knew when the black shirts were getting handed out. Like, you shut down like a really average Illinois team or, you know, you go on the road and you beat Northwestern. You knew those black shirts were getting handed out the following week because it was it was just like you play one good defensive game, the black shirts show up, and then you just go and get run all over by Wisconsin the following week. Like that that part of it always kind of bothered me, and I guess like I don't I don't have a problem with you give it to five at the start of fall camp or whenever guys are in it, you give it to them. It's it's a little bit more of a carrot then, but. You know, I, I think probably just giving it to the, the eleven who are going to start, even if it's, even if an outside linebacker has to give it to a nickelback one week, you just do it that way. Yeah, I like the way Chenander describes things. I like not just black shirts, but he's funny. Uh, like when he's asked about his scheme, he everybody wants to call it a three-four scheme, and he just does not like that because he says that it shifts all the time, and he, he's used all sorts of different schemes. and um, So he has, he just has some funny quips for, for stuff like that. But uh, the big thing they were stressing, him and Fisher, was it, it's just they've got to get guys having fun playing football again. And I think that was probably their biggest takeaway when they arrived here was it's not a talent thing. I'm not saying they have – Ohio State or championship talent, but they're better than four and eight talent. Everybody already knows that. That quote's been recycled a billion times already. But what they didn't have was a culture of guys who liked, you know, playing football or found it fun to go to practice. And that's what they're trying to change. And a big part of that mission falls on Zach Duvall, and we can get into the program stuff here, I think, off of this. But, um, you know, Zach, is trying to build those guys up where, I mean, it's it's a little bit of vanity, but when guys, like, see themselves in the mirror and they're looking good and they're benching a lot of weight and stuff, uh, what the coaches say is, well, they puff out their chest and they're they're eager to go play football then, too. You know, you're feeling good, you're looking good, and you, you just want to – you're optimistic about playing football. And so Zach Duvall probably has the biggest job of anybody – on that staff in a way because he spent this last six months and the next two months trying to change the culture in a lot of ways where the coaches when while the coaches can't get their hands on guys yeah yeah absolutely it one of the things that uh walters talked a little bit about is just the value of they get the 10 hours a week that they can work with the guys at those eight hours this summer there's so much value comes out of the time that they spend with the strength and conditioning and the trust that Frost has with Duvall that he's going to have those guys ready. And the trust that this staff, because of Frost and everything else and the experience they had at UCF, has with their their strength and conditioning, which I can promise anybody listening was not the case with the previous staff. I don't know so much about with Polini and Dobson, but there was so much going on 
with Mark Phillip and Mike Riley and Boyd Epley. Oh, yeah. By the end of that tenure, it was a disaster. It was a total disaster. The first year, it was at its best. And then as soon as Boyd got introduced, it was a total disaster. Yeah. In part because no one was willing to, and not no one, Mike Riley wasn't willing to say no to either one of them. He wasn't willing to put some person in charge and take away duties from the other. And it, it turned into a total disaster. Uh, and if you talk to anybody who's affiliated with the strength and conditioning or former players, they'll tell you that too, yep. that it, you were getting entirely different tasks or things that you were supposed to do on a given day, depending on who you ran into in the hallway. Yeah, I think Mark Phillip had a tough job yep. the, the way it was set up. So, well, he wasn't helped by the hiring of Boyd Epley. I know that much. Yeah. Um, they're going to do what they've done this in the past. They did this at UCF the last two years. We wrote about it on our site. Bo Pelini used it too a couple of times. They're going to do the program, which is basically some old military guys who have come up with these team building and kind of intense training exercises. And they come in for three days and, uh, it was kind of a hit with Bo Pelini's team. I remember that guy's, it was challenging, but they kind of took to it and felt like it built some chemistry. The Husker coaches, Sean Becton talked about it in Blair the other day before a crowd of about nine people, and I was one of them. Um, but he said last year they used that exercise to find some guys that they thought could handle some stuff early, particularly true freshmen. So if you're a newcomer, I think that deal is going to be huge, and they're going to be watching to see how you come through it and how you handle that adversity. Because Sean Becton brought up how there was a young player who was a freshman who handled it like he was a senior, and that impressed coaches in such a way that it really vaulted him into fall camp, and he ended up being a starter right away. So it, it, it is going to be something this staff uh, uses as a pretty big tool, I think. All right. Well, do we have anything – not from the speaking tour. Mm. Friday Night Lights is this Friday. First of two events. I gave some thoughts uh, for VIP subscribers about what to expect out of these two weekends. They're going to be drastically different from each other. Oh? Yeah. Well, I don't want to go too much more than that. We need to, to make sure that our VIP people get to know things first. But you can check that out at the website. With that being said, I mean, we do know that Nebraska is anticipating uh, some guys that they've offered to be coming in. Wouldn't look for a lot of workouts like you've seen in the past in terms of, you know, Brendan Radley-Hiles and Tyjon Lindsay and Tristan Jebbia and people that already have the offers working out. I think it's going to be a little bit more of tryouts for, for some individuals. But like I said, I have uh, at least one notable visitor that uh, will be here on the 22nd. That's in that story, and uh, there'll be plenty more coming out of that. Elsewhere in recruiting, Nebraska's hosted a few people here recently. Uh, one in particular of interest to me, Brant Banks from Houston, is a six foot seven, 255-pound tight end, offensive tackle, defensive line prospect. Nebraska really likes him on the defensive line. They like him as a defensive end. They like him a lot, and Brant Banks – like Nebraska quite a bit. I mean, he admitted to being pretty surprised. He didn't know really what to expect, but he came away feeling a lot better about the program. They did a really cool thing uh, where Scott Frost was out talking to you out in western Nebraska, and so he wasn't available to be on campus for sort of that final meeting that he's had with just about everybody else. And because of that, what they did is they essentially had Mike Dawson called over, I assume, to Matt Davison, they got on FaceTime, and they allowed Banks to have that sort of interaction with Frost, even though he wasn't there in person. That meant a lot to to Banks, and, and I think that that kind of recruiting, I mean, I'm sure that it would happen elsewhere in the country. Like, this isn't, you know, Nebraska didn't invent doing this. FaceTime is, is a very big part of recruiting, as it is anyways. But that kind of personal touch can go a long way, and so I would keep an eye on him. He wants to come back potentially for an official visit in the fall, would like to see a game in Lincoln. But he's kind of a sleeper guy that a lot of teams in Texas are, are poking around because he can play so many different positions. The I, with, with the Friday Night Lights, I mean, it, it seems like Nebraska's current staff 
based on some of the, the comments that were made, I, I think they're kind of trying to figure out what this event's going to be like too. Is, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, they, it was one of the things I talked kind of off the record with all of the people that I talked with yesterday about just what their expectations were for Friday night lights. And for a lot of them, they didn't really know. I mean, they just, they knew that it was a successful event. They knew it was kind of a parade of sorts, um, or, festival whatever you want to call it i can't remember what the word one of the coaches used for it but um so they're very curious and they didn't really do anything like this at central florida they had camps they had get-togethers they had that kind of thing um but i think they're curious and i think it's going to be an opportunity to once again just really reestablish. and not that these coaches don't already know it but that the fan base in nebraska is vastly different than just about any other place in the country you're going to have at least a thousand people show up on Friday night for this minimum. For I think it's going to be a hundred degrees. Is what yeah. the uh, the highest? Well, of course, to be. it would be. Yeah. Remember, was it the second week last year where it was like a hundred and two degrees on Friday, and just, I'm standing there in a dress shirt coming from a wedding rehearsal for this <laughs> thing. I had to burn that shirt. Just took it out back to the, really? the fire pit. That just it, huh? yeah, that shirt wasn't going to survive. It's terrible. Was it better fitting than this T-shirt I just got? You're very self-conscious about this shirt. I, I don't think it's that bad. It's a little too big. <laughs> we were talking about it before we got on the podcast. It's that deal where you, you're in between sizes and you order it online and it comes in too snug and then, then you get the other size and it's just you feel like you're in a drapes, you know? You either need to start lifting more or lifting less, one of the two. <laughs> less, I think, is the answer. <laughs> I was also taking that Mike's – implied that scott frost did not invent facetime which i thought he maybe did well um, i'd have to check research department can probably look that up but if frost invented it then nick saban's the one that's getting all the credit for using it these days joe paterno wasn't he facetiming wasn't that like a big deal when he was like facetiming with prospects before you know everything happened there there, i remember this Uh, there there being like this picture of him like facetiming with facetiming or skyping Oh, maybe because it started as skyping, That's and then right. Facetiming became the new cool one. But but it was like basically the type of computer screen that you could see from space, uh, and he was like, you know, had his face right up against it, which I felt <laughs> badly about, but it kind of made me laugh too. Yeah, I, I think it was skyping because I think I kind of recall the photo that you're talking about. Uh, so there, interesting conversation that we can maybe have here about rule changes in college football that happened today. Yeah. Uh, the note, the most noteworthy one is that starting this fall, just months from now, a freshman can, or I guess anybody, can play in as many as four games and maintain their eligibility. What does that mean for Nebraska right now? Go. I think it means – I think it will mean something in late November – in the bowl game more than anything like i think you got to pick your guys right off the bat that like yeah they're playing right away we need these guys they're they're playing all season and then there's going to be that kind of strategic group of guys where maybe you even have the conversation with them and say hey you're not ready now but if you if you put the work in for me see this can be like a nice carrot to put in front of guys like give me the work in september october you're not going to lose a year here and you're going to get a play in games at the end of the season. But the other thing I'd add is I think people always act like, well, when they get to the bowl games, you'll just see all these true freshmen and stuff get their chance. Even if Nebraska's 7-5 and five or something and playing in the pinstripe bowl or whatever. Don't put that on me. On As Michael Brunt says they're going to do, <laughs> pinstripe bowl. That was my prediction, actually. It, you still – owe the service to your team of trying to win the game and you're going to play for the most part your best guy so i'm not saying you're not going to enter you're going to mix some guys in maybe give them a few snaps here and there but i don't think we should be under this idea that it's just going to take over and you know you're going to see all these true freshmen like starting all of a sudden at the i end. completely disagree with brian christopherson and what it leads to is nebraska is going to go to a dual quarterback system for the first three games of the year <laughs> to determine whether adrian martinez or tristan jebbia truly going to win the job for they're that gonna, first Michigan game. They're going to they're gonna they, take the quarterback competition into that wouldn't be that bad. Michigan Stadium. Yeah, this is, this is what's going to happen. Brian's completely wrong. Don't listen to anything that he had just said. Well, that would be way more exciting. 
Oh yeah. I mean, those. I mean, when I saw the the thing, that was my first thought. Is oh well. Although then, <laughs> what if uh, what if you have the competition? You pick your person, and then the other guy gets injured in the fifth or sixth game. <laughs> so then you got to. Bu- you got Andrew Bunch. <laughs> yeah, he's the guy. The other guy just has to red shirt. Yep. No, I. I mean, joking aside, I, I think you're right. I think I that, like your idea, though. <laughs> to be honest, I see it more as when you kind of see some of these things. So last year, if this would have been in place last year, you could have had early on. You would have realized, you know, with Avery Roberts, he wasn't going to be able to help you out as much. You weren't playing him. He ends up coming back as a freshman redshirt. But kick it forward to Nebraska's just getting trashed by. Minnesota, and their front of their defensive line, it's just terrible at that point. Damian Daniels can play the final three games of the season. He comes back as a freshman mm-hmm. redshirt. He can get anywhere from you know 30 to 100 reps to finish his freshman year and still comes in with that experience. I mean, I think stuff like that, you can build some players up in the final months of the season. I don't know if you're going to see him used so much in the non-conference schedule. It, it's interesting, though, because in that scenario, you're you're putting a true freshman out there, but you're having to leave somebody back at home because you're, you're limited by travel roster size. Yeah. Um, but you're pretty banged up at that point as it was anyways, and you're probably carrying a third-string long snap. So what I'm hearing you say is that when Tanner Lee went out with his – concussion issues at minnesota that you would have thrown tristan jebbia to the wolves well no you had patrick o'brien you would still want to throw jebbia to the wolves or maybe maybe at penn state i mean jebbia could have backed up patrick o'brien when he got sacked for the 37th time in his offensive series and then you could have brought in a jebbia you would I mean, put, yeah that, you would have put jebbia in there against iowa lead that comeback from 56 14 could have the, I mean, that's that's the, the option that you have in these situations. Here's, you could have put in Patrick O'Brien against Iowa in 2016 and seen how poorly that would have went, too. Instead of putting out Riker Fife with his Arby's logo oven mitt hand and Tommy Armstrong's torn hamstrings. I mean, so it gives you options in that regard. Uh, I'm not saying it leads to perfect decisions by any means. But when you have these sort of injuries late in the season and you have somebody that you know, Damian Daniels at the end of the year was tearing up scout team. So it probably doesn't harm anything if he's getting extra reps in that game instead of bringing along whatever defensive lineman wasn't going to play anyways. I wonder, the thing I wonder about though is, and that's so if you're trying to get the freshman ready late, you're basically having to, like, I don't think you're trying to do anything. No, but I think it, what you're doing is if a guy is capable. You're utilizing. So you're going to say, hey, you've been on the scout team all year. Come on over here. Like, I like I just, you're having, I think it changes the way that you practice a little bit during the season. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but here's the thing. If, if the guy's doing well on the scout team, isn't that the same as bumping him up than if he was a third string guy doing well in reps against the scout team? But it's not, that, that's not a conversation you probably would have had before. Because, I mean, if a guy's doing well late in the season, like, you're not going to bring him up before. What I'm saying is it's akin to me as if someone's doing well on the third string going against the scout team, you would have moved him up late in the season. You're just doing that now with the guy who was on the scout team. I I think, I mean, I don't think we're going to see mass numbers of guys playing, like, significant snaps. But what it does is for the people that are ready or when you do have holes that emerge, that you can go ahead and play people. I'm trying to think of that <laughs> Music City Bowl, who could have played in that game that might have helped him out in that regard that redshirted. <laughs> I don't honestly know. There was a year Nebraska O'Brien? was out in, uh, uh, it was like I think it was one of the bowl games in Orlando. Malik was playing that year as a true freshman. But there was a whole cast of intriguing red shirts like Vincent Valentine. Because I remember I did a story about it, and they're all, like, lined up on the bench. And, see, that would have been an interesting year because all those guys were at that point capable of giving you something. Yeah. And so there are going to be years like that. There's also going to be some interesting scenarios, like let's take Avery Roberts last year, where maybe you think a guy is pivotal for you 
on September 1st, and then three or four games in, you realize eh, his role's not as big as we thought. And you're going to have to, situation like that, you might have to pull back and talk to somebody like Avery and say, we used up your four for your betterment. You're probably just going to have to watch the rest of this season. Right. And that'll cause an interesting dynamic too when that guy, if that happens, mm-hmm. um, has to do that while some of his buddies in the end of the year are getting their opportunity, you know. So um, it is going to – it's going to cause some different types of conversations that coaches haven't had to have with uh, players, but that'll be – I almost think it makes them more judicious about playing young guys early in those first couple games just to throw them out there. Mm-hmm. It's because you might want to save some of those games later at the end of the year because of it and yet you don't want to just use the rule in full for everybody because you don't want to mess up your right. numbers so you're right. gonna have to like still make some tough calls early on like I mean, I, we, I, we we need to play like six true freshmen or something you know i doubt i mean let's say he makes it to campus and then they have an offensive line injury i doubt it means that willie canty is going to be playing at the end of the year if he's not ready to do it yeah um, so I still think they're going to be cautious. I still think it, what it does is it just allows them to get looks at some guys. Damian Daniels is a perfect example last year. It's a guy who legitimately by the end of his f- true freshman campaign could be on your two deep, yep. you know, or like your f- fifth guy at the position. He probably would have been given all the injuries going on with, yeah. with Mick Stoltenberg and, Especially the, the blowouts. The wall that Thomas hit. Yeah, especially the blowouts they were involved in. I mean, yep. you might as well get them snaps. But. It, is it kind of similar to, like, Major League Baseball September? Feels, it feels that way. You, you bring up guys at the end of the year and you kind of see what they are. You think Quincy Anon was pissed about this? <laughs> that's, that was the first guy I, I thought Quincy of. Quincy has I saw made that. out pretty well. Yeah, but I was just, like, I was just looking at his line. He played. was the first one. The first one I thought of was Kevin Maurice. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. Nebraska desperately could have used back for his uh, 2017 season. Yeah. Niles Paul didn't get a very good run. Jalen Bradley probably would have been a, an example yeah. of that last year, too. Mm-hmm. In were, the midday musings, I mentioned him. Did you? Ben I mean, Roberts and Lindsey. There could be specific examples. I can't think of many examples where you could bring in a guy for, like, one play or something like because he has a great skill set. Because to me, like, he, he would be – He's yeah. either good enough or he's not good enough, unless he's like a unless it's um, some sort of trick play with a left-handed um, throwing quarterback. Um, or it's, I can't um, think unless of what you it would have be. like some quarterback who can't do a lot for you right now, but he can throw the ball sixty-five yards, and you want him to throw a hail mary or something. <laughs> like that's the only case I can think of. I, I want to live in a world in which there's quarterback recruiting specifically for the hail mary play. <laughs> It's the end of the half. We got a shot. We're only 60-some yards well, let's out. Say, let's bring in Phil. Phil's got a big arm. No, let's say Adrian Martinez, like, were not all he was cracked up to be. or mm. we, He wasn't quite ready yet, but he, he could throw the ball just a ton. And you're at Michigan, and it's like, you know, 14 to 3, but you're on the four, your own 40-yard line, four seconds left in the half, and you're like, well, he's got a bigger arm, you know. That'd be the only case I could think of. I like this. I like where you went with it. Basically, just looking for a, a very extreme situational play. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. I think out, think of weird things. You have a kicker <laughs> that you know. It's just your big leg guy. <laughs> Craig Zerline. Yeah, pretty Craig much. Zerline. All right. Uh, did that cover everything? The other legislation change, real quickly, that still will affect a place like Nebraska is transfers. Schools can no longer restrict who they talk to when they seek to transfer. Conferences will get to restrict largely interconference transfers, but that's it. So that's really pretty fascinating because you have people like um, notable jerk Bo Ryan who put restrictions on 80-plus basketball schools because Wisconsin was thinking about maybe scheduling this team two years from now. Yeah. Uh, so I I like this a lot. I'm generally in favor of all legislation that makes it easier for kids to get out of situations that are bad where they're not going to be playing or they're not happy or whatever, because ultimately they're the ones going to college. They're the ones that are going to be affected by it, and everybody else is just window dressing. So I think this is a one that was a long time coming, but what I do think – it marches another foot forward to, and maybe not all sports, but I think we're going to see it sooner than later, 
transfers without sitting out a year, which is just the the yeah. Mike Schaefer pinnacle. I'm all all aboard. I thought your pinnacle was going to be gambling windows outside of football games. Well, there's different pinnacles, but oh. as far as talking about transfers. That's like the highest of pinnacles. That, in terms of life pinnacles, is pretty high. Nice. That's all we got? I think that's everything. I think that's it. I Just cut it. I ha- I have some lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. A Horse With No Name by America. I've been wanting to share this one because there's one line that has always amused me. On the first part of the journey, I was looking at all the life. There were plants and birds and rocks and things. There was sand and hills and rings. The first thing I met was a fly with a buzz. I've always loved that line in that song. There were plants and birds and rocks and things. That's that's what they came up with. <laughs> we'll get back to the rap lyrics later when the season kicks up, I think. Little America's okay. It's a good song. Yeah. That is and I've song. heard a lot of people point out just the ridiculousness of that line. Yeah. So I do appreciate you. But I but I, but I do like the song. But I'll be on vacation next week, so. Yeah. I, it's my turn to not listen to the podcast. <laughs> Everybody gets a turn. <laughs> this is, this is going to be odd timing because next week is the 100th episode of the podcast. Oh. <sighs> Hey, brain wasn't there for it, the first 60 anyways. they said it couldn't be done but here we are we did it <laughs> they did the haters said that. yeah we uh we're working on a guest no promises yeah but hopeful otherwise if we don't get the guest it could just be brunson and i getting drunk playing video games yeah which we have promised to do many times and have never actually done yeah we're all hat no cattle so. but now that brian's not here do it dad's out of town yeah do whatever we want. Stay up all night. <laughs> all right. Well, we got no other smooth way to get out of this thing, so I'm just going to end it now. Appreciate you listening to the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. As always, stop by the website at nebraska.247sports.com. We'll come back to you with another all-new original Nebraska 24-7 podcast next week. Yeah.